G'day mate, welcome along to episode 80 of the Exponential Performance Podcast, it's so good to have you here. Now in today's episode, I sit down with Brendan O'Neill, who is a medical doctor, but also a kayak coach, and also the inventor of the Vucker Cadence Sensor. Now the Vucker Cadence Sensor is a sensor that you can put on a paddle, whether you're a kayaker, stand-up paddleboarder, waka armor, or outrigger canoe paddler, and it measures your cadence in real time. Cadence is simply how many paddle strokes you're taking per minute. Using that data, you can use it for training intensity, uh, testing different uh, bits of gear, uh, pacing, all sorts of different things, which is what we are largely talking about in this episode. We dive into a lot of topics today around training for paddle athletes, uh, but also just general stuff around training in general. Now just remember, you can find all of the resources talked about in this episode over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 80 for episode 80. But without further ado, here is the interview with Brendan O'Neill. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Brendan, welcome along. It's uh, fantastic to have you here. It's been a long time since we've uh, we've seen each other. Obviously, we met down in uh, Dunedin, Otago yep. uh, Kayak Racing Club, and um, and you were you were one of my coaches there for 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 a number of years. But uh, it's awesome to uh, reconnect with you. Yeah, no, it's good um, good to reconnect with you too, Matty. I mean, we still do have an ongoing connection because um, uh, although I focus my attention at the club level uh, and um, coaching, you know, club kayak athletes, a lot of them do get coached by you as well. Mm. Uh, so we, we sort of had that overlap, which is quite interesting, and uh, they we seem to complement each other, which is great. Absolutely. And in saying that, it's fantastic to... Uh, because I do a lot of remote coaching, you know, online. It's it's awesome to have, you know, Dunedin-based athletes to say, well, we need some kayak technique work, and you just know exactly where to send them, you know. It's easy. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons I've I've tried to maintain a club base mm-hmm. and a club coaching environment because, uh, as you know, kayaking, you can't just go for a weekend and learn technique. It's a, it's a yeah. gradual process. It's step-by-step. Step. You need someone with continuity who's going to see what you're doing over several months really um so i prefer the club environment for that point from that point of view you know so i, I do get to see people long term 100 percent. that like that hands-on technique coaching you can't you can't beat it really can you no but uh, there's still a place for what you do and you know i think that people often don't have access to clubs and Mm. Uh, I think they they still need some sort of guiding and direction, and maybe in the space of this talk, we can talk about you know how using cadence as a remote coach can be really helpful. Um, yeah, it does give you yep. some advantages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. So, how did you find yourself in Dunedin? What what prior to you arriving in Dunedin? What what's your background? Because I honestly I don't actually know, which is terrible. Because I was trying to think. Hey. I genuinely don't know where you, you know your background, so I'm interested to find out. Okay, well that's a long story. You might be here for a while. <laughs> I mean, I'm a medical doctor. Yep. Um, so I'm sure you knew that, but um, you know, I guess the most frustrating thing about 
medicine, modern medicine, is we're pretty much always the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had various um, special interests in medicine. I've, um, I've basically I'm a general practitioner, but I've had a special interest in sports medicine, and I've had a special interest in psychological medicine and especially behavioural medicine. Uh, most of our modern diseases are behaviour focused. I mean that's what's causing them. So having a behavioural medicine approach, trying to help people with behaviours that will make them healthier and instead of less healthy. Uh, and the psychological uh, interest comes into that too. Um, so really coaching has brought all of that together. Um, so now I'm no longer the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Yeah, nice. <laughs> now I'm dealing with people who want to be healthy, they want to perform, they want to understand their body. Um, so it, it, it's very strange circuitous route to get there but mm-hmm. um, it for me it feels like all those interests I've had are finally all coming together um, and I've, I've been into sport my whole life you know I was a kayaker back in United Kingdom yep so I uh, I think I'm a much better coach than I ever was an athlete but <laughs> um, I did I, I, wasn't, I know I, that feeling very well <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I mean I did make the British team as a kayak athlete you know but um as I say, there's a lot of unfinished business there, and I feel like that's why I, I coach. You know, I, I love the performance aspect of sport, uh, and uh, kayaking's been a passion my whole life. Yeah, fantastic. And so how long have you been in Dunedin for? Came to Dunedin in 1990, so quite a while. Yep. Mm-hmm. I really only got back into kayak coaching um, about uh, 2000 and. 12 something like that so what's that 18 years ago because that was certainly about the time that that you know i was working with you in dunedin yeah yeah, yeah. so i was going to say just when i rolled onto the scene and i've always thought geez we've been lucky to have uh you know a, such a great coaching resource in dunedin such as yourself um but now now hearing that the uh, the background even more it's like far out what a resource you are to you know for the club to have so lucky to have that vast array of experience, you know, in a, in a coach. Well, I always think so, but you know, no, it, it really goes under the surface, you know, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, a club needs a whole lot of skills, you know, ranging from, you know, taking padlocks in to get them fixed by the locksmith to fixing boats, you know, to mopping out the shower area, um, you know, trying to organise groups of disparate young people. You know, it's like herding cats. <laughs> um, you know, so I, it's. I think it's a really underutilised club coach. You know, we, we can talk a lot more about like high performance level coaching, but I think club coaching is another whole step above that. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like there's so many aspects to it, um, and uh, yeah, you really need to have a handle on at least most of them you know, or a really good team around you. And even building the team is a skill, you know. So, yeah, I, I think every club coach will come with a with a set of skills like I've described, but from different areas of life. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's interesting in itself. And, and you do some uh, development work for Canoe Racing New Zealand as well? Yeah, so um, I think just because of... M- there aren't that many kayak coaches in the country um, that 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 um, I'm saying there are a lot of kayak coaches actually, you know, but they're all doing their own thing in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there aren't many kayak coaches that are connected through high performance sport and through canoe racing New Zealand. And we're trying to do something about that. We're trying to, you know, get more connected and get some sort of program uh, established that can upskill everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think because I've had a few athletes who've gone through the canoe racing pathway, um, so they call it pathway to podium. And um, so there are different levels of their development squads. Pathway to podium is is really a, the, the level down from actually joining the centralised high performance squad. So you know I have to have quite a lot of communication with Canoe Racing New Zealand in terms of uh, you know getting those athletes from that pathway to podium level into the high performance level. Yep. Yeah. And and that's uh, it's a big jump as well from there, isn't it? In terms of the athlete having to to understand so many different components of uh performance because it's not just uh often at you know at the real beginner grassroots level it's sort of that fun thing that we do on the weekends so to speak and then it, that really steps up and it's not just about uh training anymore it's about the lifestyle as well the nutrition and the and the That's recovery and, and the psychology that goes all around that yeah and um you know a lot of athletes are, are, are I'm sure your athletes are the same. You know, they're trying to get those things, um, they get their ducks in line, really. But it is a very big jump from being someone who tries to do a bit of training, a bit of weekend racing, to try and get into that high-performance squad where, you know, they're really looking at a four-year cycle aimed at the Olympics. Mm. You know, so they're, they're saying, you know, we want athletes who, in the next four years, can get into Olympic finals, which is, you know, that's that level of, of performance is... is uh, yeah, that step from being club to going up and being coached by professional coaches who are um, able to give them input every single day and have that whole group of of, of um, support personnel, as you say, nutrition, mm. biomechanics, physio, um, life coaching, psychology. That you know they the, the high performance athletes get all that, and the club coaches get you know me or or you. <laughs> so so uh, you're right. It's that is a big step, and uh, uh, you know getting an athlete through that is quite rewarding. But it's also um, a lot of um, you know compared to co- coaching at a club level, there's a lot of individual intensity there, which uh, mm. is time zapping. Yep. Yeah. For sure. For sure. So it must have been around. 2000 and late 2010, 2011, when we were training down at the Dunedin Harbour, and you brought along one day this little round, and it kind of looked like a film canister or like a little pill container, probably a pill container coming from your background, and and we were we were duct taping it to our paddles or using a little bit of rubber inner tube to put it onto our paddles, and this was the first time I came in contact with this cadence sensor idea that that you'd been working on and man it's growing since then but talk me through those sort of the the early days or how did you come up with this idea of we're going to build a cadence sensor for a kayak yeah so that's a bit of a story but and when obviously i um when i was being coached there was nothing like this available and and my coach used to say you know we're going to do 80 percent or we're going to do 40 strokes per minute for uh, four minutes or something like that. You know, we had no idea. He, he had a stopwatch. So while we were in view, he could tell us how close we were to what he wanted. Mm-hmm. The moment we were out of view, we just had to guess. And so when I came back into coaching, you know, I, I expected there to be something that would allow me to be a bit more precise. 
yep. and there really was nothing. Uh, all the athletes were using the GPS watches, mm -hmm. and you know they were had, so they had a little dashboard. They could see their distance, their time, speed, their heart rate. Um, but still, we didn't have a really good judge of um, intensity. And um, as you know, you know, in all training is volume, intensity, recovery. So we need a good measure of intensity if we're going to accurately target some training. So I, I set about trying to, you know, get something. Um, Dunedin's a great place. It's, it's uh, got a big university, a lot of skilled people. I don't have the skills to do this, but it was, it was my idea. Mm -hmm. And I just took it along to various people. And um, uh, in the end, it was the group who look at, at robotics who were able to looking at zoology and turning animal movements into robotics. Uh, they were able to come up with something pretty easily. Uh, and that's, yeah, wow. that was miniaturized enough to give that little canister that you're talking about, yeah. which really was proof of concept. So that was allowing me to coach the way I wanted to coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was then taken up. At that time, I was being mentored by uh, Gordon Walker, who Gordy is the obviously the national kayak coach now. In those days, he was just interim coach. Ian Ferguson had just left. And Gordy was uh, standing in. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, um, Gordy has been tremendously successful, <laughs> and now he is uh, head coach of uh, Canoe Racing New Zealand. Um, but he, so he was mentoring me. Um, he uh, he saw this thing, decided that that he needed it in in Auckland for the high performance squad, and so on the basis of that, we began to commercialise it. Uh, and in fact, Lisa Carrington got it in. September 2010 uh, yep. and that and then she went on to win her first world championship gold medal in August 2011 so she'd had it for uh, seven or eight months by the time she won that first gold medal mm -hmm. under Gordy's coaching and then she went on obviously the year after uh, 2012 in London to win a gold medal at, at the Olympics and it was after that, so we kept it in-house until after Lisa's gold medal um, at London Olympics. Uh, there was no contract for us to do that, but we just wanted to make sure we had a really good product, we knew how to use it, and we had someone who was uh, demonstrating its, its, its effectiveness, really. So mm -hmm. after 2012, we, we launched it worldwide, and, uh, yeah, the story, it's just grown, really, since then. Yeah, fantastic. And, like... Looking back on it now, I'm pretty privileged to have uh, have had one of the probably one of the first units, maybe apart from uh, Lisa's one, because it was around that similar time that I was using it. And I was looking back on some training diaries uh, this morning before our before our chat, and and I was looking through and had like the kayak sessions, and I was cause I was trying to figure out when I started using it, and then I'd you know average heart rate, blah blah blah, strokes per minute, and I I had it all down in uh, in terms of what what we'd been doing for those sessions, you know. And and it sort of jogged my memory in that in those early days it was it was just that real time feedback that you were getting, but I didn't really understand too much about how to use it apart from measuring intensity at that moment. Um, but now you guys have got some software that goes along with the the, uh, the the cadence sensor that helps manage all of the data that you get from it, don't you? We do. Yep. Um, I, I don't think there is just a fixed way to use it. You know, you, oh, yeah, for sure. 
you, you're a sports scientist, you know, it's interesting you're collecting data even back then, you know. But, <laughs> you know so we're always looking for new ideas and new ways to use it. So if you come up with any, Matty, you let me know. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, there are some basics which everyone can just start with, um, you know, and I, I've tried to make it reasonably, you know, stepwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know whether you have an idea in your head you know, you've you've got the science background, you know, so um, <clears throat> I, I think fundamentally it can be helpful for um, making this the stroke efficient. Yep. So th- that's like economy, really, when you're trying to uh, save energy but go fast. Uh, and then on the flip side, it's also useful for trying to really target physiological adaptions. Um, so we've got you know, a technique element where it can be helpful. That's when I mentioned about remote coaching. You know, if you if you mm. patent sensor and you've got a coach who understands what to do with it, then it is possible to at least begin to make some technique changes. Nothing quite as good as having a really good coach watch technique, and uh, yeah. but it, it, the cadence sensor can be helpful. And then, um, you know, we're trying to target some pretty specific physiological adaptions if you want to go faster. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, there's there's a sort of plan using the cadence sensor to do that as well. <clears throat> that's um, so we're obviously, we're obviously talking about the the Vaca cadence sensor, and that's that's what it's turned into over over this time. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit like behind the name, like what's in the name, you know, Vaca? Where does it come from? I've always I've always wondered that. Yeah. Uh, well. There's nothing magical about it. I mean, basically, we brainstorm names. It's very hard if you start a small business to come up with a good name. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you can you can probably pay a big marketing company millions of dollars to give you something like Google, you know, but um, we just had three or four people sitting in a room and we wrote up, you know, quick fire. We didn't want it more than five letters. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted a name, didn't need to make sense. Uh, and we came up with 20 or 30 and... Um, the one we settled on, Vaca, it, it was a derivative of the Pacific word for a Pacific outrigger, which uh, yeah, right. if, you, if you go to Tahiti, it's a uh, va'a. Uh, you go to New Zealand, obviously, it's a, it's a waka. But in, in most of the Pacific Islands, they call it a vaca. Yeah, right. Which they spell V-A-K-A. And we didn't want to steal anybody's, you know, cultural identity, so we changed that word. Uh, and it sort of seemed like adding the extra A made it sort of faster. <laughs> so, so, so that's where it came from. You know, that, that, yeah, that, fantastic. It was really just a brainstorming exercise just to try to come up with a word. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I, I honestly never knew where that came from. I've always been intrigued, so good to know. Good to know. I think as well, um, coming back to that, what can you use the sensor for as well? I've always thought around like uh, testing in terms of equipment because – with with equipment and, and different types of gear, you know, paddle, size, length, there's always so much debate around that, isn't there? People's, you know, preferences and personal opinions. But when you've actually got some numbers on it in terms of if I hold this cadence, I go this fast with this heart rate, then it takes all of that out of the equation. It does, yeah. I think the first thing I would say, and, you know, you might have some thoughts on this too, Matty, is that when we look at the Olympics – and you look at a thousand meter sprinter, if you measure the cadence of those sprinters um, coming down their Olympic final, they'll all be between 53, 57. 
strokes per minute. This is double strokes. And you've got to think, why is that? You know, why are they all at around 55 strokes per minute doing a thousand meters? We're talking, you know, the 750 meters in the middle of the, of the race here. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a, I've asked exercise physiologists this before and uh, I got various answers, but there seems to be some a limit to the number of muscle contractions that mm. you get. So it's about a three and a half minute race. Um, so we're, they're saying that over three and a half minutes, you can really only get, uh, the body can only sustain about a, a 55 muscle contractions. Uh, they're double, so you're mm-hmm. on both sides. If you if you cut the race down to 500 meters, they hit about 60 strokes mm-hmm. per minute uh, over most of the middle section of the race. So shortening the race makes a difference to the maximum cadence that they can sustain. So if yep. we start from that point, we say... Uh, you know, Olympic-trained athletes, um, over three and a half minutes, their maximum sustained cadence is 55 per minute. And then we, we cut it down, um, and we, we're, we're looking at an anaerobic, anaerobic level there, even though it's three and a half minutes, big anaerobic element in that. Definitely. So, so we, we bring it down, and we find that it's incredibly consistent. Um, so using cadence as a measure of intensity seems to be more consistent than the other measures and um when you when you realize that there's a there's a physiological limit at the top there then we can step that down and find points at which other physiological sort of steps so threshold um the sort of lactate threshold level at about vt2 uh, and and um you know even down to vt1 we can say which is fully aerobic um there seems to be a fairly consistent cadence for us for, for, for an athlete and we in, the ones i'm quoting obviously are for k1 kayaks mm-hmm. and the speed is is um uh what am i saying you know obviously the boat has to be moving fairly fast for you to have a fast cadence uh, equally by generating a fast cadence you move the boat fast you know but a slower boat you just can't you can't uh attain those high cadences unless you shorten your paddle right down mm, yeah you know, so, so it would still from a physiological point of view it would still be the best um so if you've got a slower boat and you were trying to do a three and a half minute race you'd still want to hit 55 because <laughs> that mm. is your physiological limit you know but you yep. need a much shorter paddle to do that yeah, yeah absolutely so then you manipulate the variables around that to to give you that that goal of of that of that stroke rate yeah so you can now start to play along with you know if we know i mean I, I, for most people i would say the best um the best test is a threshold test mm-hmm. uh, so maybe a 40 minute time trial uh, which is gonna the last part of that the last 20 30 minutes is going to be at threshold if you're time trialing and see what your cadence is see what your speed is see what your heart rate is um, we know from, if it's a K1 paddle anyway, that you, your cadence should be around 41, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere between 39 and 43 maybe. And if you're about that level, you can double check it with your heart rate if you, if you know where your threshold yep. heart rate is. And then my advice to people is, is to play with their paddle length um, because they need to be in that sort of 41 cadence zone and that will then that gives them like a mid, middle measure, and they can then slow down, and then they can speed up. 
if they if they learn technique with too high a cadence at threshold, they'll never have the top end. Um, yep. So so it's using cadence and uh, and heart rate to to just find out what's probably going to be best in terms of paddle length. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> and a and a metric that you often uh, use is distance per stroke. Mm-hmm. So you say that kayak performance uh, or paddling performance is made up of distance per, per stroke and cadence. Yeah. And it's and it's kind of similar to uh, if you think about power, isn't it? Power is force times velocity. So force being how much force you pull on the paddle, which will give you how far you go per stroke, and then cadence being the velocity, isn't it? Well, sort of. Um, because you're a cyclist mainly, you know, I, I have this debate with a lot of people whether force is helpful in any way in kayaking. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but fundamentally, the two things that make you go forwards are your distance per stroke and the numbers of strokes you take per minute. So those are the two final um, measurable metrics. Yep. Um, we could talk a lot about power. Do you want me to briefly talk about power and kayaking? And, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, it's so, interesting. Yeah, so I think um, fundamentally, if you're on a bike, you've got a mechanical system where most of the power, most of the force you apply generates mm-hmm. in forward movement. But in a kayak, that's not the case. Uh, and for several reasons. One, it's an asymmetric mechanical system. You know, you're only being able to f- exert force on one side. Uh, and so you generate three other movements other than forward motion. You generate uh, your pitch and roll uh, in the kayak. So they're all wasted movements in terms of making the boat go forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as that, you've got water as a uh, as a portion of the mechanical system. You know, water is not easily grippable. <laughs> so um, a lot of you, you apply a lot of force to water. All you do is throw water backwards, you know, and uh, so so there's not a lot of the force. Well, you you can certainly have a situation where um, where only a minimal amount of the force you apply is actually ends up driving the boat forwards. Mm-hmm. You know, so measuring force, especially at the paddle, uh, does have its severe limitations because you want to know. I mean, it will tell you, for instance, if you have a lot of force and very little speed, you're doing something very wrong. <laughs> you know? mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it, it, as, a, as a research tool, it can be quite helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But as an everyday tool, um, what we want to know is how far we go with each stroke, which, which tells us yep. uh, how much of the force we use is mm-hmm. actually moving the boat forwards. Yep, um, and then we want to know how many strokes we can get in. So, so I, I still think that um, using cadence and using distance per stroke are the best two metrics on an everyday basis, you know. Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess that is kind of reflective as well of how well the Vaca cadence sensor is done versus some of the other gadgets on the market that do that do measure power, um, you know, in, in kayaking paddle. Is that that functionality of it, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I, I think we've always, you know, when you, when you measure force, um, it's it's about where you measure it. Mm, oh so, yeah. You know, so you, you know, as you say, power is force times velocity. So what velocity are we measuring? I mean, if we're measuring force in, we should be measuring uh, the velocity that the paddle moves because that's where we're measuring the force, you know, which is not necessarily what's happening in terms of moving the boat forwards, as I said before. Also, we can only really measure perpendicular forces on the paddle. 
because yep. you know whereas there are lots of different forces when we're obviously the water is pushing back in various ways and uh, how we how we manage um, that in interface with the water uh, is uh, is very important for, for getting that feel for the water and, and moving the boat forward. So, so I, I would just say that there are there is a place for, for power, you know, especially if you're trying to identify uh, uneven paddle strokes on different sides. You're trying to look at where the force is applied during the stroke. You know, is it at the beginning? Is it middle? At the end? And if you're trying to pair like good paddlers for a team boat, you know, then that can be really helpful too. So there's definitely a place for it, but on everyday basis, I think um, cadence is is great. Yeah, and it's just like like you say, so user friendly as well. There's not you know you don't have to go through calibrations and like you say, if, uh, power and force in, in itself, just the measurement of it itself is so complex that uh, it throws a lot of spanners into the works. <laughs> Uh, and I was just going to say, when you're talking about intensity, you've got a great resource on your website that outlines uh, intensities and double strokes per minute for different um, different training intensity. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, okay. and that'll be over at uh, exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 80 for episode 80, uh, and people can go and check that out if uh, all of these numbers flying around are becoming a little bit mind-boggling for them. But I just wanted to... Say, if, if someone uh, brought one of these Vaka cadence sensors, what would be the process of how to use it from taking it out of the box, chuck it on their paddle, what do they do next in terms of, do they take a couple of weeks just to get used to the numbers that are coming in, or do they go really specific for the first session, or what, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I, I don't think they're that useful if you're really at an intermediate level and you're just trying to enjoy the sport, but... The moment you want to think about performance, then they're, w they're worth putting on your paddle and just watching the numbers, I think. It's, there's no great um, uh, mystery. You see the numbers there, they begin to keep you honest. You know, you're getting a feel for what cadence you're doing uh, and what you're capable of. Um, I think once you're happy looking at it, you know, then there are more specific things we can do, but there's even some back paddlers, that's all they ever do. They just want to know what sort of cadence they've held. And even, um, you know, if you're an endurance athlete and you want to paddle for four hours, uh, you know, are you, are you, you know, losing a lot of cadence as you get tired? Um, do you start too fast? You know, what can I hold for, for four hours? So even that, it's just useful just having that visual feedback, real-time cadence. Yeah, that's something that I've done with uh, a number of uh, the multi-sport athletes that I've worked with, and long races such as the coast to coast, and they, and they, you know, they say, oh no, my cadence been, has been really good. I managed to hold it for you know the whole time, and then when you go back and have a look at the data, it's like, well, actually, maybe we need to, you know, shorten that paddle length up or get a smaller blade because you see it start really good, and then it just takes a dive, you know, a couple of hours into the race when they've just lost all of their all of their capacity. Yeah, yeah, and it's even, um, I mean, that, that's, I think, very common, isn't it, especially at two hours, mm. and I think, um, um, I, you know, I like listening to Stephen Seeler, uh, and I'm yep. sure you know of Stephen, and, yep. uh, you know, he's he's a, you know, world-renowned exercise physiologist, and he talks about that decoupling that happens at about two hours, yep. uh, where, you know, you're putting in a lot more effort for 
about the same sort of speed. Mm. And I think, you, you know, once you, be, once you have the metrics, so once you can see that, you know, you've got the cadence, you can see the speed, you can watch the heart rate, you know, then all of a sudden you, you can, once you've identified it, you can start to train. You know, you can start to say, look, it's all, the wheels are falling off at two hours. And I would completely agree. You need to look at paddle length. You need to look at blade size. Um, you know, you need to look at what sort of training they're doing. So even even that cadence can be really helpful um, when you're you're trying to identify. I, I call it strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So maybe you've identified a weakness uh, and using the, the the metrics, and then you have to put in place a plan. Okay, well, how can we build on that? You know, so I think um, it's very helpful for that sort of stuff. It would are there any sort of go to benchmark tests that you use for like? Uh for just uh, sort of measuring performance, I guess. Like if an athlete gets a cadence sensor, what sort of a good test that they could do first up to, as a benchmark that they could go back to and, and check their performance? Yeah. So I like a cadence ladder uh, cause that, because what we want is to see uh, some paces, you know, like you would in a runner. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to see that they can be efficient through a whole range of cadences. Um, and obviously it depends on what racing they want to do um, as to how broad that range needs to be. So Lisa Carrington will be hitting about 75 double strokes per minute. Uh, I've never met an athlete who can be efficient at 75 double strokes per minute, you know. Yeah. But a K1 1,000-meter paddler will be trying to hit 55, probably 60 off the start. So we need to see that they're efficient. But for, for your average paddler... It's just, it's let's start at 30 strokes per minute, um, and then 35, then 40, then 45, then see if they can manage 50. And um, if you do it in a very structured way, so I would usually do uh, a minute, and then a minute off, a minute on, minute off, minute on, minute off, and go up that ladder, and then maybe down the ladder as well. And um, what you see is a graph, and you want to see a linear increase in speed. Well, firstly, you want to see whether they can actually hold the cadence. Yep. So, you know, can they hit 45? Can they hit 50? Um, so if they can't, you've already identified, okay, we maybe need to train in this area. We need to try and get that, you know, biomechanical system functioning at, at that cadence. Um, and if they can, what's happening to their speed? You know, so if they're hitting 50, but their speed's less than it was at 45, you know, you know you've become incredibly inefficient. And... Um, at that, at that and that informs you too. It says, okay, well, this person, if they're going to go faster, uh, they, you know, off the start or coming to a hazard or whatever it is that they may need a burst of speed for, um, they're going to need to do some training in that area so that they can improve their efficiency. Yeah, and, and that's often something that uh, you don't really realise where those holes in your your capacity yeah. are until you actually start doing some specific measured work around them. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's a fairly easy one because it should yeah. just be a straight line. Yep. So as you line up the peaks of your of your intervals here, your, as you go up the cadence ladder, it really should be linear. Um, and yeah, so if you take a reasonable arc, it becomes non-linear once you get right out of the normal range. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for most people, seventy-five would not be linear anymore. But if you you know you can almost identify a two hundred meter paddler by if they're still linear at seventy, 
<laughs> they're going to be a good 200 meter paddler you know yeah that's impressive isn't it it is yeah 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 um now you've got an ebook as well that uh people can download from your website as well how to paddle faster using uh <laughs> tips for optimal training yeah, it's really about training with cadence. Obviously, yeah, lots of ways of paddling faster. but <laughs> And again, it's a fantastic way uh, that people can uh, get a good insight into it, is it? Because it can be a little bit intimidating when people first start off. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, you can definitely go overboard with numbers and metrics. And, I mean, you and I, obviously, you know, we like we thrive on that stuff. <laughs> but a lot of athletes, they just want to get out there and train. And so... I always try to have a flexible approach, you know, so that some athletes will just use it um, as a visual feedback in real time. Yep. And that's that's fine. Um, if they know a little bit about what they're trying to achieve, that's better too. Some yeah, athletes, good, good place to start, isn't it? Yeah, good place to start. Some will want to just use the Garmin software because if you're using a Garmin watch or a Sunto or something, there's some graphs you can see. You know, once you've uh, done your training, you can go back and have a look. Uh, and then some athletes will want to dive in a lot deeper and, uh, you know, look at some maybe third-party software. Like, as you say, we have the VACA Analytics software, which um, is free on our website. So that lets people have a closer look at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And have you done any or have any sort of systems in place, I guess, around using it over like a training season or, or periodization or, of cadence. And I kind of just thinking out loud that it would just be similar to any other intensity measure in terms of you use base phase and your speed phases. It'll, it'll change during that. Or is there anything uh, stand out for you on that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, yeah, periodization, it's very helpful for. Um, probably even more so is this new term polarized training. Yeah. Uh, and um, I know that that's one of the ways that the high-performance kayak squad use it. That they want to try and keep... Uh, I mean, they're obviously training full-time every day, uh, and they found that even as sprint athletes, they need to keep 80% of their training below VT1, yeah. uh, which in a K1 is a cadence of about 36. You know, they wouldn't want to go above 36. <coughs> So, so they're, they're trying to achieve 80% of their training. And so they, they use the cadence sensors every training session. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they collate that each week to see how much has been above eight, uh, 36 strokes per minute. So polarized training, I think, um, which is, you know, seems to be a, a new buzzword around the last couple of years anyway. <laughs> um, it's helpful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, periodized. But for the periodized training, you know, what I tend to do is, for the, at my club level anyway, is we have blocks of training. Yep. Uh, and we'll have some, you know, if we do a, a threshold block, for instance, then we'll use the cadence to uh, specify one or possibly two threshold sessions a week. Um, so the athletes are using cadence to, you know, just to, uh, to carry out the training session so that they are sticking to, uh, to a, particular type of training during that block yeah cool and um i can't remember what i was going to say now it was highly intelligent though okay <laughs> yeah I, I think if you go to the basics you know like you know we're, we're trying to you know we're trying to do volume 
intensity and recovery. And yeah. if you know the intensity, then it, it obviously informs what volume you're going to do and it informs how much recovery you're going to need. So I, I see intensity as being really central. And, um, you know, you, you can look at other forms of intensity. You can look at perceived exertion or you can look at heart rate. And But I think for kayaking anyway, the cadence seems to be uh, the most accurate. Yep. Uh, and if you're trying to generate a physiological adaption, um, if you can get, if you can accurately target the intensity, then I think you need, you know, it, it opens up the possibility that you can do slightly less training. You know, you can train smarter, yep. uh, but still get the good adaptions. Uh, and, um, you know, that's really what every athlete wants. You know, they want to be able to not injure themselves, you know, so train, train within their limits, but still yep. get good adaptions. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, like, intensity is such a big part of the training puzzle, isn't it? And yeah. unfortunately, duration or time, people have just focused so heavily on that in the past because it's been so easy to measure or it's been the one that we can measure uh, across the board easily enough with it, with the old stopwatch, like you say. But uh, now that we've got, we're getting a really good handle on training intensity and the way that we can measure it, um, and it, yeah, it's about like finding that minimal effective dose, you know, something that, you know, as a, as a doctor, you'd be very familiar with doing, doing enough to get the response you're after, but not doing too much that it causes negatives. Yeah. And if you, obviously, if you've not as tired, you can, you maybe get a, an extra aerobic session in each week, which is only going to benefit you, you know, so um, you want to get the best bang for your buck really on every training session and uh, uh, different ways of doing that. But I, I do think cadence, identifying cadence really helps it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And uh, the Vaca Cadence Centre is not just for kayaking, though, are they? You guys have got some for... Do you want to see one? I've got one here. Here we go. So if you are listening to this uh, on one of the podcasting platforms, you won't be able to see what Brendan's holding up. But if you're over on YouTube, you will be able to see this. Yep. So obviously (laughs) pairs with something like this. Yep. You know, so pretty simple um, setup. This one just goes on the paddle. This one goes on the deck, so you've got a dashboard. So that's just, I just happen to have it here, so Fantastic. lucky I can show you that. Just lying around. Just lying. I've actually got a lot of them, but they're all lying around. <laughs> that actually uh, sparks the memory of, back must have been about 2010, 2011. I came over to your house to pick up one of these things, and in your spare room there was just this big table with yep. all of these different sensors under construction with the soldering irons and that sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, we've moved ahead a bit. You know, it's still all made in Dunedin. Yeah, it's so, fantastic. Uh, yeah, which is fantastic. So we partner with a company called Kamahai Electronics, uh, who do small runs of electronic equipment. Yep. And uh, they actually half own the business. Oh, fantastic! So uh, partnered with them, and uh, they had enough confidence in the product to uh, want to be part of the company. Oh, uh, so it's all made in a factory in Dunedin. Some of the plastics and casings are made in Mosgill. Um, yeah. So, very local product. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, uh, so you can use them for Waka Armour, Outrigger, stand-up paddleboard. Is that correct? Stand-up paddleboard. Yep. Dragon boating, uh, ocean. I mean, different types of kayaking. Obviously, multi-sport, ocean ski paddling, um, even some white water in Europe. They do white water paddling. Really? So, yeah. That'd be so, quite interesting uh, data that comes off white water paddlers. Do they have quite high cadence? I imagine they yeah. do at sometimes. 
Yeah, and they're really keen to maintain that cadence through rough water. You know, it's obviously easy to back off when you're in the in the rough stuff, so they use that as a way of just keeping a check on what they're doing through the rougher paddling. Is that is that like white water and, a, and short technical boating, or is this long boats and, and white water like downriver racing? Yeah, downriver racing. Yeah, yeah, this is racing down that grade three to four usually, uh, and usually um, not huge. I mean, ten to fifteen minute races. Yep. So yep. not long enough, but rough water. Downriver racing, I think, is the ultimate form of kayaking. <laughs> it's insane. It is, yeah. It's uh, it's it's both, isn't it? You've got to sprint, but you've also got to have the white water skills. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Some of those athletes do come across into sprint as well because they're, yep. they're very strong, very, you know, good paddlers. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's incredible. goals and needs. If you want to see how you can improve your paddling performance using gym-based strength training, get your free inside view of Paddle Stronger over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash paddle stronger or find the link below in the show notes or the description depending on what platform you are listening. Now let's get back into the interview with, with athletes we're just still talking really about how you can use cadence. Yep. And I think one of the great aspects is is being able to monitor whether you're getting better. Yeah. And so, you know, rather than have to wait till race day to find out, you know, you want to know when you're training, you know, am I doing the right training to get better? And so I, I like to have the key sessions because once, once yep. you can replicate a session accurately, um, then you can compare them. And if you can't paddle at a fixed cadence – you can't really replicate the session. You know, you think you've done a hard interval session, but you do the one in two weeks' time. You don't really know whether it's the same. But if you can, if you can stick it at 41 cadence and you can do four-minute intervals at 41, then if you repeat that in a month's time, you can really see whether you've made a difference. And see, m most people would feel that um, increasing cadence would improve the session, but... In reality, that doesn't seem to be the case. So what we see is once you've once you've got your paces, so if we say threshold is going to be around 41, then you can repeat those sessions at 41 and you'll still get better. So the, the gain is coming from distance per stroke. Yep. So, uh, and the, the, and the, um, that repetitive physiological stress of the cadence still seems to limit how many strokes you can take per minute. So that's always going to be threshold i mean if, if you know as a multi-sport racer that if you look at people's cadence over two hours they're all very similar mm -hmm. you know the good athletes are all all pretty much the same you yep. know you think well why doesn't one of them just go a bit harder yeah you know and it so there is definitely a physiological limit there and it it was a, it really just an idea 
until we started using cadence and it became quite obvious that it's it's pretty fixed i mean there are, is variation between people you get some people who are just exceptional and um uh, they may have a slightly higher threshold um cadence but it's pretty unusual you know um, so you do have to be you have to see what you do yep but if you can repeat sessions uh, and see that your times are better then that's very encouraging in terms of the training you're doing mm. um, so i'd say that identifying some key sessions that you can something like a threshold session or uh, a time trial or a vot max interval something like that and then every two to four weeks do it again uh, and, and it's great if you're not getting better you need to change something and if you are getting better then that's that's really good <laughs> yeah so that, yeah, that's that, not the method of using it and having that uh like that that feedback and almost testing within the session without having to go and doing a specific test is really good like every session becomes a test essentially doesn't it to then if you've got that, that level of control and feedback, then it's a lot easier to get good performance, you know, feedback rather than saying, right, we're going to do a time trial on this day and then, you know, it doesn't go well or, or whatever it might be. But having that daily feedback is so valuable. Yeah, it's, it, you do have to be quite disciplined, though, to, I mean, I, 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 for, for a threshold session, you know, I, I have that rule of thumb where we, we look at work duration. So I'd, it's got to be at least 40 minutes up to maybe 60 for some elite athletes. Yep. And then we might separate that into intervals or we might not. So you can do a time trial or you can yep. maybe separate it into intervals. And then you want to work to rest ratio if you've got intervals. So, you, you know, obviously threshold, you don't want too much rest. <laughs> you know, it's a short rest between the intervals. Um, so there are lots of different ways of doing that. And then, but if you want to compare like with like, you need like one test session, you know, where we get, we call it the key session. Mm -hmm. And so um, they get good at doing that session. And then um, they can still do a lot of other sessions that they don't have to, you know, be quite so focused on because they're still beneficial. But yeah. at least if them something uh, that, and you know, I, if I'm doing something like training peaks, you know, I'd, I'd identify that. I'd say this is a key session. Um, you know, so you need to try and get nail that one, and yep. then we use that for comparing how they're doing. Yeah, in terms of economy, we didn't really talk about that. You know, mm. economy. And I said we could talk for our what time? <laughs> we could talk for ages, but because <laughs> I, I think that kayaking more than almost any other sport, maybe swimming. You know, yep. the economy is is absolutely essential. You just have to be efficient, um, and. Uh, you know, you've got movements of the body in every plane. Uh, you've got movements of the boat in every plane. Every single movement you make will affect everything else. And it's quite difficult to engage a lot of muscles um, because it's so tippy and you've got the water bouncing you around. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a very natural movement, not like running or biking. So how do you, how do you recruit more muscles to make, you know to, to, to generate the movement so i think using cadence so one of the ways i, I tell people to use, do that is to is to just go off for a paddle say they're at 36 strokes per minute which is you know an aerobic level and just see have speed up next to cadence yeah and then and just whatever's comfortable just try and get into a rhythm whatever's comfortable and then hold the cadence but up the speed so still going to stay at 36 but now you're going to do 
instead of 9.5 kilometers an hour, you're going to do 10 kilometers an hour. Yep. And what happens is the body just finds a way. You know, you 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 maintain the power on the blade. Uh, you find a little bit more rotation or a little bit more push. You know, without anyone actually telling you to do anything. Yep. So you you're learning to be economical and to to try and get a, a good balanced efficient stroke so it is definitely not as good as having a coach who's sitting next to you but it's it in a, in a sense that you're seeing some real numbers about how you're generating the speed so i think that's a really good way of using the sensor so it's opposite to training you know uh, uh, trying to do intervals you're actually trying to paddle quite you're holding the cadence down so you're you're, you're restraining it and yep. then trying to up the speed so we're yep. working on distance per stroke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just the other part of that equation, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you've got those two things. And you almost need to do, do the economy stuff first because the more you develop a habit, the harder it is to change. So we want to yep. make sure you, you've got a reasonably good, powerful stroke. Um, one of the concepts that's coming through now, and if you have the opportunity to train with speed and cadence um, in a situation where it's relevant. I mean, I, I mostly am training people on tidal water. Yeah. You know, so GPS speed, it's, it's okay for training sessions because we just, we average there and back. Yep. If we do intervals, we do them in both directions and we can average them so we can still get useful results. But um, the, this concept is, is, there is a most efficient paddle stroke for each person. You don't want to be overstretching. You don't want to be missing your catch. And the, the idea is that once you, you know, the, the, there are two concepts in terms of going faster. You know, one is increasing cadence, and the other one is increasing the power in the stroke to try and generate more distance per stroke. And what we found is that if you want to produce really consistent athletes, you don't want to be varying the power and the stroke. Uh, and the rowers are doing the same, you know, so they're, they're trying to really slow down the stroke but keep it powerful. And then the, all the speed is being generated with cadence. Yeah. And so kayaking, we found the same thing, that if, if you, when you're paddling slowly, you want to be paddling powerfully, um, but slowly. So the, 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 the sort of recovery comes during the, uh, the air phase. And then as you go faster, you want the same movement, same stroke, so your brain doesn't have to do something different. You're just doing it faster. You know, yeah, so right. achieving that is quite tricky. But um, um, I mean, in a situation where you don't, haven't got tied, then um, I know that the high-performance guys will just match a cadence with a speed. So they know at each cadence, and every athlete is different, so it's all individualized. And the idea is to try and make that movement consistent, consistent, consistent the whole time, uh, optimal but consistent, so that they're not changing what they're doing as they try to uh, get the boat to go faster. Yeah, so so you're saying that with that paddles in the water, no matter if you're going hard or easy, you're still pulling on that paddle the same way, yep. same pressure, the only thing that changes if you want to go faster is you paddle faster. Yep, you do more cadence. Yep. Yep. So that's so using that cadence sensor at the bottom end, I think it's a really good place to start so that you don't just, you know, dip the paddle in because you're going slowly. Yep. Uh, you want to be balanced, you want to still get the same catch and you want to still power the blade through the water. 
otherwise you just learn so many different movements yeah uh, that eventually uh, you, you know you'll never lock in something that's really going to be uh, uh, your, your your most efficient optimal movement yep so it's all about getting those motor patterns down firing the right muscles at the right time yeah because yeah. if you just if you just teaspoon it along to get your get your uh, speed down then the motor pattern is completely different exactly yeah yeah uh, if you try and then when you try to go faster again you've got to change to a different motor pattern and yeah. uh yeah it's so it's it's a subtle thing but mm-hmm. you know when people are starting to think about how they if they want to be you know good kayakers they have to start thinking about that stuff and and it's just an example of how you can use cadence to try and generate that really consistent pattern um yeah yeah that's, that's super interesting and yeah like it's just one of those things of how you approach your training isn't it and that if you're just going out there to to do the time so to speak without having that connection about i'm doing this i'm actually focusing on putting in you know consistent pressure or whatever it is i'm just out there paddling to do the time and that's enough then it's it's you get a very different result from those two different approaches yeah and, and uh, you know i guess we started off you know that's why i like the club environment you know because we can just chip away and apart from the fact it's uh you know it's a nice group of people and you can have a bit of fun and um so i you know i think in new zealand and and multi-sport paddling because we're we don't have that many towns we don't have that many clubs there is that tradition of you just put the boat on your car and you go (laughs) but there is a lot to be gained i think from you know having coaches and having people watch you paddle and paddling with others and so so that's you know i guess why i focus my energy there yeah no, that's fantastic and what a lucky club uh they are to have you yeah i keep telling them that but <laughs> i'm actually no it, it is i mean I, I think uh um it's fantastic to have a group of people who get me out you know out of bed in the morning and keep me doing stuff that i love to do it would be so easy, wouldn't it, to just stay in bed in the morning? So um, it works both ways. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I, I always, when my athletes are, I'm sure you've had the same athletes, they have a really bad day and they uh, they just think it hasn't gone well and they didn't do what they expected. And and uh, if I'm out on the water with them, I say, well, look, you can give yourself a big pat on the back because if you weren't out here, I probably wouldn't be out here. So you've done me a big favour, you know, because <laughs> so, I, I still do all my coaching from a kayak. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Not in the motorboat yet? No, not in the motorboat. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, we're coming up your way uh, um, this weekend for a race on the Clutha River. Yes. At uh, at Clyde. I haven't seen you at one of those for a while, Matty. uh... (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you, Brendan. I haven't been at one for a while. That's why. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, I've, got two kayak, I've got two kayaks sitting out the back, and neither of them have seen the attention that they should see lately. Right. Um, but doing a lot of cross-country skiing, which is kind of my new passion at the moment, it's it's so awesome. Yeah, and, um, yeah I've got a family uh, trip up to the snow farm. Takes mm-hmm. um, so going up with my grandkids. Oh, fantastic. So we're going to have a weekend up there, cross-country skiing. Um, yep. But, you know, of all the schemes, I, I like the cross-country the best. You know, I love, yeah. you know, I love the fitness stuff. So mm-hmm. I love being out in the mountains, love bit, love the snow. <laughs> so, have you, you have done a bit then, have you? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but not a, not a huge amount. 
Yeah, fantastic. I I find like the uh, the technique as well is super similar to kayak technique. Yeah. Like, when I finally started to grasp the technique, it just sort of clicked with me. I was like, oh, this is like kayaking. <laughs> yeah. There are definitely a, an overlap because some yeah. of the best kayakers ever mm-hmm. have been international level cross country skiers. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Wow. So the Norwegians especially, but even mm. the Canadians. You know. So. Yeah. Um, we just want to wrap up with where can people find out more about the Vaka Cadence Centre and how to use it and, and, and where to buy them? Um, yeah, well, we do. We have It's a global network now. Yep. So we sell in 12 different countries at the moment. And obviously, uh, even if you're not in one of those countries, sometimes uh, one of our dealerships will be the place to go. So if you go onto our website, which is Vaka Cadence or one word, uh, dot com uh, that'll give you a list of dealerships but you can also buy online at vacacadence.com uh, we have a web shop uh, so um, that's available to anyone anywhere in the world um, so they're, they're the two methods of, of buying them and a lot of information on the website too a lot of stuff I've been talking about uh, you mentioned my ebook which just covers it in sort of a, more, a bit more logical stepwise process uh, and always happy to answer questions so there's a contact you know, contact page. They can just write me an email, ask questions if they want. Yeah, fantastic. And what I'd love to do is uh, if anyone listens to this and does have any, like, specific questions about training with Cadence, is send them through, and I'd love to get Brendan back on to, to answer specific questions that might be a little bit more specific about a certain way to use it or a problem people have had. I think that would be, uh, one, really helpful but and, and super interesting as well. Yeah, and if they've got any ideas, any ways they've used it, which uh, they found helpful. Um, yep. I spoke to an ocean ski paddler who said that so because he knows what speed he should be traveling, he can always tell if he's in current, not in current, if he's getting assist from waves, wind. Uh, you know, so, you know, I, I hadn't thought of that. You know, so anyone who's got any ideas have used it and found it helpful, uh, yeah, I'd love to know. Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, either uh, shoot me an email uh, through the Exponential Performance Coaching website or post it below on whatever platform you are listening or watching on, and uh, we'll do our best to get Brendan back on and uh, do another Q&A about training with Cadence, because today's just been a really good overview, I think, of what it's all about and how to get into it, but I'll go a little deeper. I'm, I'm sure... You've got another episode in you. <laughs> I'm sure we could go deeper. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people want to know details of actual training sessions. So, you know, maybe yep. if we get some questions, we could go into that, you know. How, yeah, how let's you... do that. Yeah. Uh, that would be fantastic, Brendan. Well, we will be in touch about getting that up and running. But thank you so much for your time. I'll yep. let you go and uh, have some lunch yeah. and uh, get on with your day. Great. Thanks, Matty. Nice to talk to you.
goals and needs. If you want to see how you can improve your paddling performance using gym-based strength training, get your free inside view of Paddle Stronger over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash paddle stronger or find the link below in the show notes or the description depending on what platform you are listening.